And uh, there we build friendships, have an opportunity to uh, look at Scripture together, to, to serve together, and to, to kind of do life together. In some ways, we kind of say that's where church really happens in those small groups. And it's really the backbone of who we are. And so it's a great opportunity for you um, if you are looking for something like that. And then, as you've heard, we have many other things going on uh, uh, touching our youth. So if you have high school or middle schoolers, um, We've got a great uh, ministry going on to serve them and help them to, to grow and, and learn. And uh, the Count Me In, and uh, we've got men's ministry and women's ministry now as well. And so there's just a lot of different ways that you can get connected and go on this journey with us if you'd like to do so. And I know that uh, when you come into a gathering like this, if you're, if you're newer, you look around and, and you say, wow, look at all these people and how they have it all together. And you know, these are the church people, right? They, they go to church because they're already good and, and they know everything, right? And I just want to totally deflate that completely for you this morning. Um, not to offend the regular people of our congregation, but uh, to say, uh, starting with myself first, that, um, you know, this life is messy and we're on this journey together and we need each other. We need each other to find the Lord together. And, and we're not the gathering of perfect people. We're the gathering of people who are not perfect, and that's why we need each other and why we need to gather together. So if you fit that category, man, you're, you're welcome, and we'd love for you to be a part of this. Let's pray. Lord, uh, it's so good to be here this morning. My heart is so full after a weekend of Good Friday prayer, uh, just hearing the voices of our people praying and what's deep in their hearts was such an incredible blessing to me. And yesterday, the hundreds of kids who were touched uh, as we had our, our community Easter celebration. And this morning up on the hills, the sun was rising, and we were standing there singing your praises and our sunrise service and, and just seeing the people gathered there together to welcome the new day. Uh, my heart is full. And singing this morning, Lord, so I just want to give you praise and, and thank you for uh, what you're doing in the midst of our community and, and how you love us and how you're, you continue to work and you continue to reveal yourself to us and, and show yourself to us. And, we know that even here in this moment, you are here by your Spirit. Um, you send your Spirit to be uh, in our midst as we gather together. And, and so we, we want to be awake to that reality, that this is not merely a gathering of people, but that you also are here by your Spirit. And, and we ask that you would touch us in some way this morning. Maybe you already have, and for that we give you praise. Um, but we ask that you would touch us and, and teach us and grow us, or maybe just uh, reaffirm to us the powerful truths um, that we need to know. Um, reaffirm to us your great love for us, your grace in our lives, the hope that we have in the future because of Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we ask that you would, you would touch us in some way because you are here and, and we need you. And we declare to you, and, and maybe all of us, no matter where we are along the spectrum of seeking you out, we declare to you at least minimally that we're open we're open this morning to you working in our lives, to, to your doing something in our midst, um, revealing something new to us, showing us again who you are, or maybe for the first time, beginning that journey with us. And so we just declare to you that we're open. Can we just say that in our hearts? You don't have to say it out loud, but just, Lord, I'm open to your leading this morning. Holy Spirit, would you move in my life? We thank you that we can come to you for that prayer um, because of the work of Christ on the cross. And we, we pray all these things in his name. Amen. 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 Would you open your Bible to Luke 24? And, and uh, some of you may not have a Bible, and that's absolutely fine. We've got some extra Bibles that we would love to hand to you. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take this one home with you. 
Uh, just raise your hand if you need a Bible this morning, and we'll hand one to you. And in that particular Bible that we hand out, it's on page 756. It's Luke 24, starting in verse 1. Now, a little bit of background. Uh, we have taken our time to get to Luke 24. We've earned this resurrection, right? Uh, we've gone all the way from the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Um, I think uh, maybe this is 100, sermon number 113 in the Gospel of Luke or something like that. So um, we have worked our way. We didn't just jump in here. Um, we worked our way. And so uh, pretty exciting to actually finally be here. Um, and, and let me just remind you of what's been going on as we've come to this place. It's been an amazing run for the disciples. We've been able to sit on the sidelines and watch the disciples with Jesus and the life that Jesus lived, the amazing life. And they were there in the front row. And then we've been able to kind of watch through their eyes to see what Jesus has been doing, the miracles he's accomplished, the teachings he's taught uh, the love that he shared, all of that. It's been, I mean, could you imagine what a ride it would have been for those early, those first disciples to walk with Jesus and to have their mind just blown day after day as they watched this man and what he said and how he lived and, and what he did. And so this run is accelerating and it's wonderful and it's great and all of a sudden it's like it falls off this cliff. We came uh, over the last weeks we've been reading, coming to Good Friday and, 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 it, and, and it's, it's, it's the Passover and and it's all laden with this, this symbolism of the lamb that's going to be slain as a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. And Jesus takes on that role of the lamb, the perfect sacrifice, and, 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 and he goes to the cross. And they don't understand all this, though. It's confusing to them. Um, we know, as we've been reading this, that Jesus knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. He's, he's doing this on purpose. But for the disciples, it's all so confusing. They can't put it all together. It doesn't make sense. And so it's been this incredible ride that all of a sudden has come to an abrupt halt as Jesus goes to that cross. And, and then he dies on that cross. And, and what they would do in those days is when somebody would die, they would put him in a tomb. And for the, for the, they would put a bunch of spices on their body. And then for the first year, that body would decay. And those spices would be sitting on there kind of covering up the odor of the decay of the body. And then after a year... They would come and they'd roll away the stone to the tomb and they would, they would take what's left, would just be bones, and they would put those in a box and then, and then do the second burial and that's how it would stay, just the bones. And, and so they're in the middle of this process. Here they were in this wonderful moment. Everything was going so incredibly well and, and now they're left with the body of Jesus Christ in the tomb. And, and, and it was Sabbath and they can't do this work of spicing up the body over the Sabbath and so the women who are um, taking on this task of spicing up the body, they go home on Friday, leaving the body just partially spiced, and, and they, they, they observe the Sabbath. They're not supposed to do any work. And then we come to today's text. It's Sunday morning. Now, for them, Sunday was a regular work day. You could do work on Sunday. Um, and so they, they get up early, and they want to go finish the job of spicing up this body before it de- decays any further. Verse 1, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, that is these women, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. That word dazzling is used by Luke in association with heaven. 
And so we understand these men to be angels, and particularly what they will say next will reveal that they have insight into what's been going on, heavenly insight. Verse 5, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Three things I want to say out of this text this morning, and the first one is simply this, that Luke clearly intends to describe a miraculous resurrection in this text. He clearly intends to describe to us that, that what happened on that day was, was not just an everyday kind of a thing. It was a miraculous resurrection. And why do I say that? Well, a number of things in the text make this very clear. First of all, he simply says, he is risen. He is risen. So we know that that's the theme. But then he supports this with, with a lot of other data that helps us to see what's been going on uh, in, in that moment. First of all, the stone is moved. Now, the guards who were charged with guarding that tomb would not have moved that stone. That, that was Their job was to guard it so nobody would move it. And so they would have been, would have been strong enough to move it, but they wouldn't have wanted to move it because they were charged on the penalty of death, mind you, to guard that tomb so they wouldn't have moved the stone. And the women likely couldn't have moved the stone. It would have taken a number of of men to to move this huge stone out of the way, and they come and they find that it's already been moved. And so so first of all, we're in the realm of the miraculous, right with the moving of the stone already. And then beyond that, the tomb itself is empty. When they look in, they see that the tomb is empty, and you ask, well, what could have happened? Did maybe somebody steal the body? Um, and, 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 we, and we think about that in light of all that Luke has told us, and, and we say, okay, well, who would have had the motive or the desire to steal that body out of that tomb and, and leave that tomb empty? And, and maybe you say, well, the, 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 the Jewish authorities could have stolen that body, and, and uh, it would have, would have potentially helped them, but it only would have helped them if they had produced the body afterwards and said, look, Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, and they didn't do that. We have no record of them doing that. In fact, if they had, then we all pretty wouldn't be sitting here this morning, I'm guessing. Uh, they didn't produce the body. You say, well, maybe the disciples took the body. And then again, you have to go to the question of motive. Because when, the, when, when all this went down, what happened to most of those disciples? They ended up dying for Jesus. They, why would they take a body that would result and, and, and have this, this whole transformation take place so that it would result in their own death? Something miraculous must have inspired the life that they lived on the heels of this, this incredible event. They were willing to go and die and to suffer for Jesus. Hard to imagine that they would have done so if they had known 
at the end that this was just a lie. And so the empty tune is a, is a reaffirmation. And some have said, well, maybe they were all hallucinating that, that Jesus wasn't there and that he rose and, and appeared to them. And, 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 and certainly people have hallucinations. But as it's recorded here and in other places and, and in the earliest writings and the writings of Paul, um, it's very clear that it was multiple people saw the risen Jesus, not just simply one person or two people. And it's, we know, really hard to have a mass hallucination, right? Not a common thing. Um, and so hallucination doesn't provide us a, an adequate answer. And then we say, well, maybe the body uh, resuscitated. Maybe Jesus wasn't dead yet. And so they put him in the tomb, and he wasn't fully dead. And so he came back to life. And, and many um, medical doctors and, and scholars have looked at that possibility and concluded that at the end of the day, it's just simply impossible that Jesus was not dead when he was placed in that tomb. The torture and the pain and the... The, 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 the many of times when they, they looked to make sure that all was done, um, he, was, he was dead when he was put in there. So we have this statement, he is risen. We have the move stone. We have the empty tomb. All these are pointing to a miraculous resurrection. And then we have Jesus' predictions himself. Um, the angel references, just, he said, just like he told you. And the women remembered, oh yeah, he told us. He, at least twice in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says to the disciples very clearly, I'm going to die, and then three days later I'll be raised again. But they have a hard time grasping it. It's one of those things where it doesn't compute, so it goes apparently in and out of their head, right? But now they remember him saying that. Jesus had predicted it. And so um, Luke wants us to understand that, that this, is not, this is not something that just sort of was made up, that Jesus had been predicting it. And then there's the presence of the clothing as well. Um, what kind of thief would steal a body but leave the clothing there? What would be the motive for such a thing? And all the Gospels point out this, the presence of the clothing. It has a, a unique uh, confidence-building sort of aspect to it, that, 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 that these clothes were there. Why were they still there? In fact, in, in John, the headpiece that Jesus would have been wrapped in was folded up neatly on the side. And then lastly, you've got the very writing itself. Um, it bears the hallmarks of a sincere telling of a news event. There is very little or no embellishment. In fact, it's very terse writing. We've noted that as we've been going through this. Sometimes Luke's writing is so terse and simple, and he's talking about these amazing, incredible, miraculous things, and yet his writing is just so simple, so terse. So we, we see that as a hallmark of its truthfulness when we, when we look at this telling of the resurrection. The unflattering uh, projection of the disciples in the story is another affirmation of the truthfulness of it. The disciples don't appear oftentimes to have it all together in this. And you would think that if they were trying to build something up, they would, they would embellish and, and put themselves forward and say, look what we did. But they don't. They just tell it as it seems and seemingly was, that they didn't understand Jesus and they failed over and over to, to grasp who he was and, and they failed to follow him uh, in a way that, that, that was true to who he was. And, and all of that's there on the pages for us. Why would they tell us? What was the motive for telling us that? To make themselves look bad. Well, just perhaps it was true. That's why. And then lastly, there's an unconventional twist in this story that is very strong in helping us to see the truthfulness of it. And that is that, that these women are the first witnesses to the empty tomb. And in that day, a, a woman's testimony wasn't even allowed in a court of law. Uh, and so here we have perhaps 
the greatest court of all, right? Um, what happened with Jesus? And who are the primary witnesses? It's these women. Very unconventional. If you were to make this up, you wouldn't write it that way. Because in that day, that would have been a challenge to everybody who, who read it. So we see all around that Luke clearly intends to describe what's gone on here as a miraculous resurrection, a miraculous event. And we have to grapple with that on some level as human beings, all of us. And that's what we do together. That's what we do here. And that leads us to our next point, And that is simply that the miraculous resurrection is perplexing, and that's okay. The miraculous resurrection is perplexing, and that's okay. Look at the people's responses to what has gone on here. They range across the spectrum. You have the women who are the first ones there, and, 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 they, and, and they see the angels, and they come back, and they, they seem to bear a, a, a deep belief and acceptance of what's happened, and they come and they tell the disciples. But then you have responses to the women, which vary. First of all, you've got Peter, who, who it says marvels at what went on, and we don't really know what that means. Peter, what, you marveled. In the Gospels, that term can be used for people who, who marvel and believe or people who marvel and don't believe. And so, so we don't know where Peter is, but he's at least taking action. He's moving towards the tomb. He runs to the tomb to see what's going on. And then we have the other disciples who are on the other end of the spectrum who simply say that it's an idle tale. They, they, they receive it as an idle tale. In other words, a, a fairy tale, a myth. It couldn't have happened. Not possible. And so all of these people reacting to the resurrection do so in varying ways. There's a spectrum. And then if we were to look over in the, the Gospel of John, we would see more detail. You know about the, the, the disciple Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. He says, I won't believe unless I stick my hand in the wounds. And then Jesus appears and he does stick his hand in the wounds. And so you've got this spectrum of response to Jesus. And that's okay. It's okay that we react differently to this miraculous event. The range of responses is normal. It reflects who we are as human beings and how God makes us in unique ways. And we don't all absorb new information at the same rate and in the same way. So we, we need this space to process. And it reminds me how important it is as a church for us to be a place where there is space for people to process their thoughts and feelings about God as he comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That we need to create a space where, where if we don't have it all figured out, it's okay. You can walk on this journey and, and, and you can take your time. And, and what happens oftentimes in churches is, is, is we get impatient with that. And so we start to try and force people to believe certain things when they don't actually believe them. And we have a name for that kind of a community. That's called religion, right? Where people are trying to make other people believe certain things. That's what a religion is. But this whole Christianity thing is so much bigger and grander than a religion because it's not about people trying to make other people believe certain things. It's about a living God who comes to us and reveals Himself to us. And so we don't have to try and force the issue with others. We can just let God do His thing in people's lives. And we can pray, and we can come alongside, but we don't make anybody believe anything. It's the living God who in Jesus Christ 
meets us and convinces us if we're going to be convinced at all. Very important that we understand that dynamic. And so, so if you're here this morning, actually, no matter where you are on the journey, but if you're here and, and, and you feel that pressure, oh, i got to believe certain things, no, no. But here's something you can do. You can go to the one who can convince you and say simply something like this, God, if you are real, would you reveal yourself to me? If you're really there, would you reveal yourself to me? I want to I know you if you're really there. I think all of us have that cry deep in our hearts. And so I want to encourage you this morning simply to vocalize that to God or to say it in your mind, to say, Lord, if you're there, reveal yourself to me. And then I, wanna, I want to warn you to be ready on the other side of that, okay? To be ready for God to reveal himself to you in ways that you may not have expected before. I love what happens with these women. They had this, they had this reframing, this mental reframing occur. <laughs> they come and, and the angel says to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And it's sort of like, it's, it sort of shocks them. It's like, it's like, yeah, we thought dead people are among the dead and you find dead people in graves. And, 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 and now we've thinking about a, a living person who was in a grave and their whole mindset gets absolutely turned upside down and, and, and they respond, they respond quickly. It's amazing how quickly they respond. But something like that happens to us whenever God comes to us and begins to reveal himself to us. It will cause upheaval in your head. Your, your mental, your thought systems will be rocked. Oftentimes we go, we walk through this life and we've absorbed the systems of thought that have been handed down to us. Many of them say that a resurrection can't happen or, or this or that or, or God wouldn't be this way or, or whatever. And, 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 and we, have to, we have to be willing to let those systems of thought that we've absorbed, that have been handed down to us, to let those be challenged and changed and transformed by God. If we're going to pray that prayer, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Then we need to come around the other side and be open. Reminds me of uh, that very famous quote that Einstein said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And we, sometimes we just keep hanging on to these systems of thought and expecting something to change. And perhaps, maybe this morning, it's time to consider faith. To open up to the possibility of a God who entered into this world out of love to reveal himself to us and then to demonstrate his authority and his power over even death in the resurrection so that we would be brought back to him. Miraculous resurrection is perplexing, and and that's okay. And then lastly, my third point is that the miraculous resurrection empowers us to see life as God meant it to be. The miraculous resurrection empowers us to see life as God meant it to be. I want you to think about those those women, as they got up early on that Sunday morning and they were making their way, dragging their spices to put on the dead, already decaying body of Jesus Christ. Um, it was the end of what had been an incredible run. These women had been following Jesus as well. They were there to see what had gone on. 
And now it's just another burial. It's just another death. It's just another mix of spices that we're going to put on just another body. See? And feel the mood of the women as they make their way towards the tomb. If you've been involved, maybe you, you had to put on a funeral for a loved one. And maybe you know that feeling at, when it's all over, when the guests have all left and the cars are out of the driveway and you look around your house and the furniture has been rearranged to fit all the people and it's still sitting there like that. And on the table are the, the remains of the casserole bowls that the people feasted on. And there's a kind of a numb feeling about it. Um, you are pressing hard to get through the memorial, the funeral, and now you're through that, and, and what do we do now, right? There's a numbness that settles in. These women are in that mode, right? They've gone through, they've gone through all those emotions, and there's, 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 there must be kind of a numbness that sets in at the end of it. And they're just, it's just another burial, just another death, like so many that they've seen. And I think this is an emotion, the just another emotion is one that we can connect with very immediately, I was making a list, thinking of things that, that are similar to this. Do you ever have a, a just another something moment? Oh, it's just another this. Just another this. Do you ever have a just another trip to the office in the morning? Ah, the job seemed so exciting when I first took it, right? And now it's just another trip to the office, or just another annoying interaction with my boss or my coworker they seemed so nice when i first met them who would have known just another class that will make me have to pull just another all nighter right to write just another paper to get just another grade man i was so excited when i got into cal and everything that was going to happen and and now it's just another class just another conflict with my spouse the thousands of ones I've already had, and now it's just, it's the same one. My wife and I got to the point, we started naming our conflicts, so like, you know, we would be late somewhere, and we would get in a fight about being late, and then we had that argument so many times that we stopped having that argument, we just said late fight, and then moved on. (laughs) Saves a lot of time, you should try it. Already had that one, late fight, just move on. You ever feel like just another no to my children? Oh, I was in, they come out so cute, right? And then I was in a Target recently, and there was a a, a young father with a, a little toddler type, and the toddler was just reaching up to the shelf and pulling things off, and just like, and I walked by, because I'm, I'm not in that stage of parenting anymore. So I walked by, and I saw this cute little thing. I just had this rush of like, oh, that is so adorable. He's pulling all the things off the shelf. And, and then at that very moment, the father says, you know, you know, Billy, stop pulling those things off the shelf, right? And the clash of my emotion, which was this adorable little child, and, and the father, who now this is the, you know, 
I mean, it was cute the first 1,000 times, but now it's 10,000, right? And I remember that. I remember that. Something that should be so cute is now not cute anymore um, because it's just another time. I've been around this over and over again. And, 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 and life is, is, is like that. Even the good things, even the good things. If you know me, you know I love to, to cycle. I love to ride my bike. And there are so many. I'm surprised at how much I love to cycle. I am so surprised at how many times I pull out that bike and I go, ah, just another bike ride. I'm kind of sick of this. I always come back glad that I did, right? But how, why is it that this, all this just another, even the things that we love are besought with this, this just another kind of emotion? And then so the supposed great milestones in life, um, you know, if you're younger, getting that first car and, 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 and then it gets a scratch. Uh, and then your graduation, um, and your, you know, if you, maybe you get married, and these are all, you get a new job, you get a house, these, you know, our culture says these are all the things you're supposed to do. The Bible doesn't necessarily say it. Um, and we put a lot of hope in those, and, 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 but then we get there, and before we know it, the freshness of that event is gone. It's so fleeting. See, the reality is that everything in this life is coated with a, a tinge of death. Just like Jesus in that tomb. Because we live in a fallen, broken world. It's, it's not what it's supposed to be yet. Although it is very beautiful and wonderful and gives us ample pointers to how it's supposed to be. But it's not there yet. It's, it's all tinged with this death. Even the best, the greatest things... They, they, it wears off. And what is that? And, and, and we struggle with that, and it's, it's hard. And, and, and what do we try? When we realize that, what do we try? We try to put more spices on them, right? Just like the women put spices on decaying body to mask the smell of the decay. And so much of our life is spent trying to put a little bit more spice on the decaying parts of who we are. And you know, you know the drill. You know how we do this. We do this in all kinds of ways. We try to find substances that'll give us a break from what the decay that we're experiencing, the, 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 the failure of life to deliver on its promises. You know? We try to medicate against that because it's, it's just tinged with it. And we try to pour spices or keep ourselves really busy or try to get more money or or try to be well-known or successful. It's all spices on a decaying body. Spices on a decaying body. And then Jesus Christ comes along. He bursts forth from that tomb where his body was decaying, and his dazzling body appears to the disciples. And he says, the first time it's ever been said and ever needed, he says, look, no spices needed. This is the real deal. This is how it was meant to be. My body dazzling in its heavenly glory. This is how it's supposed to be. And here, look at it. This is it. This is what you've been longing for and hungering after and what you keep trying to find in this broken world. And every time you think you find it, you discover that it's actually tinged with death and you're so frustrated and it's just another and just another and Jesus bursts forth from the tomb and he says, no, it doesn't always have to be that way. Here's how it's supposed to be in my resurrection body. 
And then Jesus becomes our one contact to that world of perfection. Where no longer, all these things that we love but they don't quite deliver, no longer will they stop delivering because they'll be in their proper context and they'll be in their perfect environment. Jesus lives there already and He brings it to us. I'm an agitated kind of person. When I, when I graduated from seminary, they, they give you a test. And it's like an emotional test, right? And you, know, you can get really good grades but fail the emotional test, right? And one of the things they said to me, I, I did pass the emotional test, you'll be happy to know. But one of the things they said to me, he sits down and he goes, he goes, you appear to be a very agitated person. And I said, yes, that's, ask my wife. Uh, I'm, I, you know, the, the furniture is one way, I've got to change it. Um, I've got I've to do something different. I, gotta, I, gotta, I can't stand it if it's always the same way. I just, I'm just that way. God just made me that way. I'm not comfortable with things where they are. But I think all of us are that way to some degree because it's, it's, it's part of this. This world will never deliver what we're hoping for and, and, and trying for and what we really desperately need in the inner core of who we are. But I've discovered there's one person who can deliver. And now I'm talking about my personal experience here. I think everything in this life I've been tired of, but I have never been tired of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm just saying that as a testimony, okay? I ha- because when I sit down to pray, and I can be frustrated and angered and irritated and struggling, and when I open my scripture, and when I fellowship with the people of God, and, and, and when I worship God, there's, there's always newness and freshness. There is always resurrection power at the center of it. There's always the hope that it doesn't have to remain as it is. And I'll tell you, I'm always confused, usually confused about how Jesus brings that about in my life. But He does. He's always been faithful. Scripture tells us that same resurrection power in Jesus Christ is in us, followers of Jesus. And so we can, we can tap into what's new, what's, how it's supposed to be. We don't have to walk through. What is it, what is it Thoreau says? I, wrote, I, I didn't know if I was going to use this. So I wrote down, most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. You look around and we see people living, and we're those people living over and over. And Jesus enters in and he says, No, there's something new. And that is the message of the resurrection. This morning, if you feel like uh, those, those women, you know, maybe you're, you're quick to believe, you're, you, you have believed, you, you, you know this about Jesus, you've been walking with Jesus. And you've seen him over and over again meet you in your darkest hour. You've seen him meet you and give you meaning and purpose in life and take what seems so mundane and suddenly frame it in a larger context where now it has purpose and meaning. So you've seen Jesus do that. You believe. If you're like those women, what do those women do? They ran back and they told the disciples that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And for those of you like that women, that's your call this morning. Run out there and tell Others that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And everything's new. Everything's been changed. 
Some of us this morning, we might feel a little bit like Peter. We've been marveling at what we learn and hear about Jesus, but we haven't made a commitment to it. And if that's you this morning, if you're like Peter, you've been marveling. See, Peter makes a commitment in the next little while. But if you've been marveling, but you haven't really committed, maybe today is the day for you to commit. Say, you know, I'm going to take a step of faith with you, Jesus. You've you've shown enough to me. Uh, I'm going to take a step of faith and put my trust in you. We talk about putting trust in Jesus as as kind of working like this. It's it's acknowledging that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. Um, He went to that cross to die an atoning sacrifice to cleanse us from sin. Just like that lamb was, was sacrificed to cleanse the people from sin, Jesus is sacrificed perfectly to cleanse us from sin. He's our Savior when that happens, when we believe in that. And then he becomes our Lord as well. Well, he is already the Lord of everything, but we acknowledge him as such. Um, And that is to say that he's the the number one in our life. When he's our Lord, he's number one to us. And we're going to order everything that we do around Jesus and what he teaches and what he calls us to. So today, if you've been like Peter, you've been marveling, but you haven't made that step of commitment, I want to encourage you to take that step of commitment to Jesus Christ, to stop just marveling and to say, okay, I believe I'm going to entrust myself to you in particular. And if you want to do that this morning, you can, you can pray that right now as I'm talking. When we do communion, you can come forward as an act of sort of saying, you know what, this is I'm putting a stake in the ground. I'm pursuing Jesus. I'm making him my Lord and my Savior. And my life is going to be different from here on forward. And then some of us here this morning might be more like those disciples who their initial response was, oh, it's just idle tales. And they were, they were heavily doubting. And if that's you this morning, if, if your initial response to Jesus is, is that doubt, then I just, I just want to ask you again, back to that question, to just, you're here for some reason, and to just pray that prayer, Lord, if you are really there, reveal yourself to me. And then after you pray that prayer, I want to encourage you to put yourself in his path. Well, what is his path? His path is the word of God. Scripture, his path is the people of God, his path is worship, his path is prayer. And if all you can do is pray, Lord, reveal yourself to me, that's fine. Pray that prayer. And pray tomorrow as you start your day, you get up and you you walk on your day. Lord, reveal yourself to me today. And then put yourself in his path. Okay, so are you the women this morning? You have faith, you need to go and tell. Are you Peter? You've been marveling, you've got enough information, you need to... Put a stake in the ground this morning and say, yes, I'm, I'm following you, Jesus. And are you disciples who thought it was all idle tales? Then this morning you say to God, reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. We always take communion together uh, every Sunday. It's always special to do so on Easter. Communion means many things. Um, one of them is to point forward to that day when we're around the table with Jesus again in heaven, celebrating 